Well, amen and amen. It's great to be back with you today, church. Uh, I'm Steve Dighton and uh, Pastor Emeritus of Lenexa Baptist Church in Kansas City. And I've been here a couple of times before. And when Bryant's not able to be here, he kind of defaults to me. And that's great because we love coming to uh, Moberly Baptist and certainly glad to be here today. Let me say a word of congratulations as you shared uh, the missions goal of $100,000. Y'all just blew that thing out of the water, didn't you? Amen. Glory to God, $191,000. Let's, uh, let's give the Lord a hand. That's, that's awesome. And uh, so I was actually here last month and preached on missions and uh, uh, I was very much aware that you guys were uh, trying to tackle that goal, the noble goal, and, and exceeded it. Uh, and, and we need reasons to rejoice in, in this day and time. Amen. That's right. So, so God bless you on that. And a great uh, birthday offering to Jesus as it be, be used to spread the gospel and for his glory. Well, I know we, we've been doing a series on Christmas and uh, trying to look at various aspects of the wonderful gospel story of when Jesus Christ came to this earth, when in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born under the law, that he might redeem us who are under the law. And so while Jesus was born in that obscure village of Bethlehem in the foothills of Judea, every character, every incident of this epic story is significant because I'm telling you, this is God's story. And so as Bryant was uh, telling me what he was doing, he assigned me this um, specific in the Christmas narrative, and that is to preach on the angels that are pretty prominent in this story. Now, there is often, and there has been, and probably forever will be, a kind of an infatuation with angels. And, uh, and it can be even to the degree that's a little unhealthy. I've heard people errantly say this when they, someone that they care about or someone that they, uh, that they lose, they, 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 they will say, well, now uh, God has another angel in heaven as if that person, when they die, morphs into an angel. It's just not true. Angels are divinely created beings. And when a believer indeed passes from this life, Indeed, to be absent from the body is to be with the Lord, but we're going to receive a glorified body. We're going to know each other in heaven. We're going to be up there as we are, only redeemed and living in a glorified body. But here's what I want you to know and see with me about angels. When they are involved in a story, they're, they're certainly not the focus of the story. Not, it's not about them. They're communicating and, and facilitating and validating God's desire and his plan, his desire, and the attention is never given to them. Matter of fact, the Bible puts out a clear warning not to be worshiping angels. In Colossians chapter 2, uh, an epistle that was written to, to really clear up a, a doctrinal heresy, and listen to what it says in chapter 2, verse 14, or verse 18. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and the worship of angels. So I've entitled my message today, Angels in the Outskirts, not Angels in the Outfield. That movie has already been played. This is Angels in the Outskirts because we will see these angels on the outskirts of Bethlehem. Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. 
Micah prophesied some 600 years before the coming of the Savior that it would be in that very place, the city of David, Bethlehem. So today I want to read with you a passage that we all know, but just because we know it doesn't mean that it can't speak to our heart. Amen? God's Word is alive. It's quick and powerful and sharpening you to edge of sword. I pray that God would speak to you today as we focus once again in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8 through verse 14. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray to that end. As the whole host of heaven declared glory to God, we say be glorified in your church today. Thank you for this worship music that's drawn our hearts close to you, but I pray through the preaching of your word that you would change hearts. Thank you that we can stand on the promise that when we preach the Bible, it doesn't return void. It will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. And so today, please fill me, O Lord, with your spirit to speak things that are right and true, honorable, that will bring glory to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we find this birth narrative here in Luke chapter 2. We find it in Matthew's gospel as well. In each of these narratives, we find they mention angels. We see how prominent they are. We see the proclamation they make and the praise, of course, that goes to God. And I, wanna, I want you to look with me at those three uh, things relative to the angels and begin by talking about how prominent they are, their prominence. Because you cannot read the Christmas story without seeing and, and realizing how often angels are mentioned. That word angel means messenger, one sent from God. And these angels come with a mission, divinely created creatures of God, for him to use in his providence, always to accomplish his purpose and plan. So we find them on mission, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament alike. And even when we think about the Christmas carols we sing, and we sang a, little, uh, a couple of a little earlier, and angels were mentioned along the way. But I think of the ones like, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Angels from the Realm of Glory, Angels We Have Heard on High. So obviously they're key players in the Christmas story. Luke records their promise in chapter 1 because we find there Zacharias. And the angel Gabriel comes to Zacharias to tell him that his wife Elizabeth, you remember, would have a child, and this child would be the forerunner to the coming Messiah. And he said, name that child John. And he would name that child John, and we know it would be John the Baptist. And again, this same angel appears to Mary to inform her that her son, born in her virginity, she would bear a son, and she was to call his name Jesus. Then you go to Matthew's gospel, we find angel coming to Joseph and simply saying to him, Joseph, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. 
for who, what she has conceived is of the Holy Spirit. And when this child comes, you shall name his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So Luke records in chapter 1, this angel has a proper name. He called the angel Gabriel, the highest-ranking angel, Gabriel. You know, we notice in the Scriptures that even though angels are mentioned countless times, and they're certainly prominent, we only find two proper names. We have Gabriel and we have Michael. Clarence is not in the Bible. That's, that's a different book. It's a wonderful life, and he certainly wasn't one of the highest-ranking angels anyway. It took him forever to get his wings, as you well know. But we do see the frequency of angels in the Bible appearing because God's got a mission for them to accomplish His divine will. You study God's Word, you'll see how many times they're mentioned. Some 273 references in Old Testament and New Testament alike, 160 times in the New Testament. Billy Graham in his book on angels, you know what he calls them? He calls them God's secret agents. And he describes these clandestine creatures sent from the throne room of God to accomplish his purpose. And so we see their activity, the prominence of their activity. But we can't help but notice as well this aura that goes with them. In verse 9, it says the shepherds, they, when they encountered these angels, they were greatly afraid. That's the common response when people encounter these angels. We see that they're fearful. If you go back and look at these references in the Scriptures, you'll see how often that occurs. It was true with Zacharias. You go all the way back to Daniel, Daniel chapter 10, when the angel comes to him, he's fearful. In Hagar, going back to Abraham's day in Genesis 21, the same thing. The apostle Paul in Acts 27, an angel appears, tells him not to be afraid. He says, the angel tells him that he and his companions are going to be okay, even though they be shipwrecked. The most memorable event of an angelic encounter there and telling those not to be afraid that were there was at the tomb. As the women went to the empty tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ and the angel in glowing light appeared and said, you do not need to be afraid. They were greatly afraid. So there seems to be almost an immediate and inherent fear when there's an angelic intervention, but the response of the angels is always the same. You know what they say? Fear not. Do not be afraid. You know, as I studied that little phrase, fear not, you will find that over actually 103 times in the Bible. God says, fear not, fear not, fear not. What is it that calms our fears? What is it that moves us from being fearful and anxious to a place of peace? Well, I'm convinced there'll be plenty of psychologists who will tell you what you might need to do to, to calm your fears. But I'm just simply telling you from the Bible when the angels speak, whether it's to the shepherds, whether it's to Daniel, whether it's to Paul or the women at the tomb, we hear the voice of God that's simply saying, your fear can be transformed. You, you do not have to be afraid and it is transformed in these stories to an awe and an inspiration. And peace replaces their anxiety. Because God brings peace. You will find that word peace mentioned so many times in the Scriptures. In the Old Testament, it's the Hebrew word shalom. It's greeting, isn't it? 
In the Greek New Testament, it's the Greek word arene. You know what that word means? It means to speak to someone face to face. You know what it's talking about? It means you can go to that person, you can speak to them face to face because you're at peace with them. And God tells us we can have that kind of peace and that we can speak to him. The book of Romans says that our God's the God of peace. Oh, we think of God as a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of love, and he is. But do you know he's a God of peace as well? Hey, can we agree on something? We've had plenty to worry about if we want to worry about things this year, haven't we, in 2020? There's a lot of reasons we had to be fearful, to obsess over things. But can I tell you, the answer really is the Christmas story. When the God of peace came to this earth, and we called him the Prince of Peace, he is Emmanuel, he is God with us. So hear me today, God is sending out the message to many here at Moberly Baptist Church today. Do not fear, I'm with you. Fear not, I'm with you. To the heavy hearted, he says, fear not. To those who are sick and afflicted, he says, do not be afraid. To those who are broken and battered, those dealing with cancer and chronic illness, a loss of a job, or COVID-19, God steps and says, do not be afraid because there is a peace that will surpass all understanding that will guard your hearts. You keep trusting. I love what Isaiah the prophet wrote in chapter 43 of that great prophecy. When you pass through the water, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned, for I'm the Lord your God. And Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But guess what? I've overcome the world. And we see their prominence here. But I want to move quickly. And the second thing that I notice is what they say, their proclamation. In verses 10 through 14, we find these angels unveiling and proclaiming the truth of the incarnation. That the Messiah has come, the long-awaited son of David, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has come to this earth with a mission to seek and to save that which is lost. So first, as they make this proclamation, we see the significance of their proclamation. Look what it is. Good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. First, they came with good news. That's what good tidings means. That, that word in the Greek New Testament is euangelizo. It's translated the gospel. It's translated good news. Here it's good tidings. It's what the Apostle Paul was saying in Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God and salvation to all who will believe. The great light, the glory of God lit up that night sky, and there was good tidings. You know, I think about that event and really the prophecy that Isaiah mentioned in chapter 9, he said, the people who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shone. Hear me today, until the light of the world lights up our soul and delivers us from the kingdom of darkness and translates us into the kingdom of his dear son, we're blind to the grace of God and the redeeming love that can be ours in Jesus Christ. And we say today, oh, Holy Spirit of God, come again across and move in our lives to help us to see our need for the continual grace that 
can be ours in Jesus Christ. John Piper would write, the light of Christ is the brightness of God shining on the retina of the human soul, and our life is never complete until we find peace in the Savior. Believe me, there was good news. But that's not all of this significance. He says there's great joy, good tidings of great joy. That's the benefit of someone telling you good news. There's joy in our lives. We find that joy that's unspeakable and full of glory when we find Jesus. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, Thou will show me the path of life, for in thy fullness is joy. At thy right hand are pleasures evermore. And I'm telling you what you already know, the emotion that's most associated with Christmas is joy. We just sang about it, didn't we? Joy to the world. Well, when we greet people, uh, come December, what do we say? Merry Christmas. You know what we're telling them? Man, I hope your holiday's joyful. And when the wise men make their way to the Christ child in Matthew chapter 2, you know what the Bible says? It says they were overcome with joy. They had traveled a great distance they had heard about and learned about, now travel to see, and when they found the Savior, they, their hearts were filled with joy because Jesus brings joy to your life. Do you believe that today? Does he brought joy to your life? Is he bringing joy to your life? William Barclay, the commentator, would say, if Christianity doesn't make you happy, it doesn't make you anything. C.S. Lewis, the writer, the great writer who's converted as an adult, he, he would write this, that joy is the serious business of heaven. And after his conversion, he would write his autobiography of walking with God, and he entitled it Surprised by Joy. He said, because the greatest surprise of my life is the difference that Christ makes and the joy he brought to my life. One of my favorite Christmas carols we sang a little earlier, Joy to the World, the Lord Has Come. That was written long ago by Isaac Watts. Brilliant man, authored over 60 books. One of his textbooks entitled Logic was used at Oxford University for years. When he wrote Joy to the World, he was 43 years old, and he was in lockdown, quarantined for five years because of his illness, confined to a bed, a shut-in. And it was during those dark and difficult and dismal days he wrote Joy to the world. There's joy in this world because Jesus has come. He learned what we know, that joy can be ours even when life is hard, when there's heartache and when there's difficulty and even when there's pandemics. If Jesus lives in our heart, we can know joy. Listen to what the psalmist would write. Oh God, you have filled my heart with greater joy than a great harvest of grain are where new wine abounds. You know, here's what I've said. I've said it countless times. I'll say it again today. The worst day I ever had living for Jesus is better than the best day I ever had living in sin. You hear me today? It'll be true in your life as well. Well, the significance, obviously, there was good news. There was great joy. But the last thing, it's complete inclusiveness, which shall be for all people. 
God had promised Abraham that he was going to build a nation through him in Genesis 12, and he was going to be a blessing to all people. The people would be blessed through him. But this is a different deal. This is a new dispensation. No longer would God's people be from the loins of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God was doing a new thing. And John would write this in the prologue to his gospel when he said, Jesus, speaking of Jesus, he came into his own, his own received him not, but now to as many as received them. To them he gave the privilege to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of the will of God. God was willing this. He's telling us here. The gospel's going to go forth. But you know as well as me, those first believers were all Jewish at Pentecost. But you read the history book of the New Testament, the book of Acts, you'll see pretty soon things will begin to change. Peter would hear from the Lord and when he's living down at Joppa at Simon the Tanner's house and tells him to go up to Caesarea by the sea and he would go up there and encounter Cornelius, a centurion, to tell him about Jesus. And he believed and he was baptized. His family believed and they were baptized. And soon the gospel was loosed. No longer would it stay in Jerusalem, even our Judea and Samaria, but the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and then it soon would go to the nations. And it would come to America. And in 1975, it came to my life. And change me. And I'm telling you today, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, you can be different. You can be changed. The gospel is still transforming people from the kingdom of darkness. And he'll translate you to walk in a new way because old things will be passed away and all things now can become new. It's never too late for a new beginning. Well, we see the significance. Let me talk about the sign because that's what it says here. Verse 12, and this will be a sign unto you. What's the sign? You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You know, the Bible says that the Jews were looking for a sign, and this was the sign. The prophets of old, Isaiah had said, there's going to be a sign Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will be with child, and she'll bear a son, and you'll call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. So this prophetic sign was this, a virgin will bear a son, and this virgin will be blessed of God to carry the Son of God. That was the prophetic sign, but this is the personal sign. Now you can find this Christ child, this baby has arrived. He's in a cow stall in the city of David, Bethlehem. And I'm simply saying to you today, the sign is the sun and the sun is the sign. We don't need any other mystical signs to believe in the one who has come because Jesus is the fulfillment of God's prophetic masterpiece. Well, let's quit. The prominence, yes, angels are everywhere, aren't they? They're working in the Christmas story. We see indeed their proclamation, but let's, let's look quickly before we quit at their praise. There suddenly is a heavenly angelic choir, and they begin to express their praise as the heavens declare the majesty of that moment. Look what it says in verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God the highest and peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Here's what I notice about this course of praise. First, it's about the glory of God. 
glory to God in the highest. We know this little phrase is a gloria in excelsis Deo. That comes from the Latin Vulgate translation of the Bible, which means glory to God in the highest. The glory of God is radiating in the heavens in this story because God's glory was there. Let me take you back in history. About 600 years earlier in the book of Ezekiel, he tells in prophetic fashion what the people of God had treasured the most, and that was the presence of God with them. God's glory had departed. God's glory was with them in the wilderness wanderings, pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. But Ezekiel said God's glory has departed, no longer dwelling in the Holy of Holies, but, but it's departed, it says, to the eastern gate and hovered over the Mount of Olives. And certainly we find that Herod would build a temple and that the glory would be only in the Holy of Holies. High priest would go in there once a year on Yom Kippur in the Day of Atonement to offer sacrifice for sin, but that's where the presence lived. But here's what we're finding out in the Christmas story. The glory of God's it's out of that little cubicle known as the Holy of Holies. It's lighting up the heavens. Glory to God. It's on display. God's Spirit is out there lighting up the heavens. Lord, I'm telling you, people of God, that same presence of God through the power and the person of the Holy Spirit of God can light up your life and God's glory can be manifest in your life if you will live your life for Him. Not because you're worthy, but because of the vicarious and substitutionary work of Jesus on the cross. And how it works, I don't know, but I know this. Somehow, in some way, the glory of God will rest on your life if you'll live your life for Jesus Christ. Here's what Jesus said in John 17. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me, who will be with me where I am, that they will behold my glory which you have given me as you have loved me from the foundation of the world. What a majestic and unparalleled event. God's glory was lighting up the heavens because God was there embodied in a baby and that baby was all God as if he were no man at all. He was all man as if he were no God at all. Jesus isn't half God and half man. He's all God and all man. He's the God man. Jesus of Nazareth and the angels declare his glory. They're declaring his glory today in glory. Not only would there be glory to God, but here's where we come in. There'll be peace to all people. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Jesus came with a mission of peace. His mission was about reconciliation and reclamation for lost mankind. Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord will lay on him, the coming one, the iniquity of us all. He would say, this suffering servant, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity, and the chastisement of our peace will be upon him. And I'm telling you today, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to bring peace to the brokenness and the emptiness of the human heart. 
First, he'll give you peace with God. It's what the Bible teaches in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice. What? In the glory of God. God's glory. Because we're at peace with God. Do you have that peace with God today? It's where it begins. Oh, you'll get the peace from God. God's wrath will be transferred miraculously on Jesus. For he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we could become the righteousness of God in him. And we can enjoy the peace of God. The Bible said that will surpass all understanding that guards our hearts in Jesus Christ. Do you know him today? I do not know about him. Do you know him? The truth, the gospel, the good news that brings great joy, which will bring peace in the life of every man and every woman. Would you bow your heads with me today? Oh, I'm telling you today, people of God, in a world of hostility and hatred, there's a God of peace. Do you know him? Tell you what he'll do. He'll change your life. He'll change your walk. He'll change your gait. He'll change the way you perceive things. He'll take a heart of stone, make it a heart of flesh. He'll take a hardened heart of indifference, of bitterness and hatred, and he'll transform it into love and grace and goodness. You can't do it without him, but he will gladly do it with you. If you'll humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, repent of your sins, believe on the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. He'll save you today. He'll deliver you from the kingdom of darkness. He'll put you on the straight and narrow path that lead to life that only a few will find. You can be different. Life can be better. God will get you up and out of the miry clay, the muck and mire of sin, of heartache and disappointment. Give your heart to Him. Live your life for Him. You may be here today and you once were where you needed to be spiritually, but you're not there today. Not that you just fell off and became living in disbelief, but you slowly faded to, to the point to where now you feel a long ways from spiritually where you need to be. It can happen in your life. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You haven't taken in the Word of God in a faithful way, and, and your, your faith is weak. And Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. And he invites you back to where you need to be spiritually. Come today. Get your heart right with Him. You may be here and there's something in your life you need to do. A step of obedience. We saw it displayed. Such a beautiful way today. The ordinance of baptism. Some of you here may need to be baptized. Some of you need to publicly confess Christ perhaps. Some of you need to 
be a better husband or be a better wife and be a better parent. I don't know what it is, but God does. It's never too late for a new beginning. It's never too late to go God's way. Father, I pray for this congregation. I pray Holy Spirit's leadership in their life. I pray, Lord, that you would prove to be the God of a second chance, the redeeming God who came the form of a baby, who died for us, who gave his life for us, that we could be part of the family of God. I pray in Jesus' precious name, amen.